Talks on Psychoanalysis shares topics published in the IPA Society Journals and Congress Debates Worldwide, brought you in the voices of the original authors. We hope this window will allow you to experience the depth and breadth of psychoanalytic thought around the world. This podcast has been created by Gaetano Pellegrini and edited by Gaetano Pellegrini and Andy Cohen. Introduction read by Andy Cohen. In today's episode, Roosevelt Casorla will present his paper, Fanaticism, Reflections Based on Phenomena in the Analytic Field, recently published in the International Journal of Psychoanalysis. Roosevelt Casorla is a training analyst for the Brazilian Psychoanalytic Societies of Sao Paulo and Campinas, as well as a full professor of medical psychology at the State University of Campinas. He is a member of the editorial board of the International Journal of Psychoanalysis and of other journals. He's a contributor to the IPA Interregional Encyclopedic Dictionary of Psychoanalysis. He has published six books. His latest are The Psychoanalyst, The Theatre of Dreams and the Clinic of Enactment, and Suicide, Unconscious Factors and Sociocultural Aspects, an Introduction in Portuguese. Casorla also coordinates the working party Microscopy of the Analytic Session of the Brazilian and Latin American Psychoanalytic Federations. He also received the 2017 Sigourney Award for Outstanding Achievement in Psychoanalysis. Here I present parts of a paper on fanaticism, published in the International Journal of Psychoanalysis, number 100, 2019. There I discussed fanaticism as a social and clinical phenomenon. In this podcast, I have left out clinical material, but I've had it hypothesis about what occurred in the analytic field. The fanatic transforms the perception and the understanding of reality to adapt it to their conscious and unconscious needs and desires. They have absolute certainty that they possess the only truth. Facts that do not coincide with it are isolated or perverted. Reinforcing the defensive configuration, the fanatic projects himself onto the world, phagocytizing followers on which he feeds. The fanatics consider himself to be infallible. Confident of the superiority of his thoughts, he fights to save the order. When the other resists salvation, the fanatic is sure of envious rivalry. Thus, they need to attack evidence of people that doubt them. Any form of perversity is justified in the name of the truth or of the cause. In the fanatic's mind, there is no room for doubt, tolerance, idleness, guilt, mourning, depression or reparation. There is neither sadness nor happiness. The latter is confused with excitement. Life takes place in a hyper-real world, where things are what fanatics imagine them to be, and nothing more. When the fanatical functioning coexists with a non-psychotic part of the mind, a certain contact with reality is maintained, as we see in the everyday fanaticism. 
where the idealized object is a rock singer, a football team, or even political or ideological institutions. This symbiosis occurs normally in adolescence, but traumatized mind can maintain it. The fanatical minds have characteristics that differentiate them from those of the psychotic part of the personality. The fanatics forms a reality which is consensual and convincing within given social groups. Even through to others, they are bizarre. The new reality created by a psychotic, however, seems bizarre to almost anyone. Unlike those with fanatic characteristics, the psychotic is not usually looking for followers. The term fanatics comes from Latin fandus, which means temple. The Romans associated the word to speak solemnly. The fanatic was a doorman who carefully looked after the sanctuary. In time, the term came to mean someone passionately religious, who dedicated themselves exclusively to one and only God. The term was amplified to mean a crazy person with delusional enthusiasm, forensic, exalted for their belief. One characteristic of fanatical thoughts is the deforming generalization and the uncritical valorization of causal relations. One given situation, real or false, is generalized and the responsibility is attributed to all individuals of the same category, ethnic or religious, for example, who will be considered enemies. We can imagine inside the fanatic's mind a logical and highly complex but impervious and immutable narrative simulating thoughts, as in the paraphernalia of roles of the Inquisition or of Nazism. This conglomeration, which appears as thoughts, behaves like non-thoughts and clusters itself in hallucinated transformations. We can observe intense symbiotic or parasitic dependence on the fanatic group. The powerful instance is attributed to beliefs acquired inside the social groups and are borne up by leaders. This inculcation or inoculation is an important factor that determines the transformation of beliefs into fanaticism. There is a clear relationship between fanaticism and resentment. The resentful subject traumatically feels they have suffered an injustice and lives in order to bring vengeance to the object that supposedly was unjust. It's better to keep the victim alive so that the vengeance becomes permanent. The transgenerational transmission of resentment makes it so that disputes and wars proceed for generations. 
The rise of fanaticism is facilitated in a person or social group when they become weakened or threatened. To counterbalance this desperation, something salvaging powerful that would change the insecurity into certainty is sought. Therefore, behind the supposedly unshakable truths, there are terrible insecurities. Terrorists are, in fact, terrified people. The distinction between psychotic, perverse and fanatic aspects is not easy when they constitute a conglomeration. The psychotic and perverse parts seek to paralyze the analytic process, attacking the intuitive capacity of the analyst. The fanatic parts aims to convince the analyst about what the patient considers to be the truth. The truths will be considered coherent and real by the infected followers. The non-followers can grasp its bizarreness, and the projected configuration consists of the moralistic, arrogant superego. The impartial observer experiences the unheimlich, uncanny. We still need to differentiate fanaticizing fanatics the creator of the truths from the fanatical followers. It's possible that the former acquired and developed the fanatic structure in the cradle. The others are vulnerable to identification with a leader because of their need to be saved from reality, full of frustrations and doubt. Emotional contagiousness hypnotizes multitudes that are easily manipulated by fanatical leaders. The thinking capacity is numbed as a result of massive projective identification. This numbness makes the masses become euphoric, submissive, or violent. Emotional experiences are transmitted through variations of vocal intensity, timbre, pauses, and tones of voice, as speech acts, as well as through corporeal movements. The fanatic knows how to use the music that accompanies words and gestures. Sugar coats, angry, seducing, or threatening. In order to make the listener believe in what they say by mobilizing emotions. Crowd roaring, military marches, the hypnotizing movement of which remind us of heartbeats, possibly the mothers. Mandatory prayers, constant repetition of slogans, hypnotic lighting, substitute the capacity to think by emotional discharge. Misrepresentation or demeaning of war is another prevailing weapon of persuasion. Klemperer studied how the passionate use of deformed language by Nazis transformed a lie into alleged truths. Orwell 
in the classic 1984, describes Newspeak. Social networks have become an instrument for deforming the truth, propagating lies and prejudice. Contagiousness and fear make attaining followers easier. Transgressions, lies and rationalizations make everything permissible. Any remnant of humanity is sacrificed for the cause, justifying torture, slaughter and genocide. The fanatic feels like a vigilante. The transgenerational transfer, as seen above, enables population or groups of human beings to think others as enemies for generations, recruited by emotions, stories and myths, transmitted consciously and unconsciously. Today, all over the world, we are experiencing a re-hardening of prejudices against color, ethnic origins, nationality, habits or ideas. The politically correct with allegedly fight prejudice also becomes fanaticism, and those capable of handling diversity, often through humor, are condemned. The fanatic can be very pleasant while trying to convert us to their ideas. My vegan friend is not desisting from saving me from my eating habits. Some colleagues currently try to take us to their psychoanalytic school in order to deliver us from poor ideas. Sometimes we can question possible fanatical elements through the cracks opened by the non-psychotic part of the personality. I will readdress with my own words the account of the Israeli writer Amos Oz. A writer was in a taxi in Israel and the writer was commenting about the conflict between Arabs and Jews. He was saying that the only solution would be to kill all the Arabs. The writer asked him, and how would the Arabs be killed? The driver affirms that every Jew should kill one Arab. The writer continues, and how would they be killed? The driver, in whichever way, by shooting, stabbing, bombs. The writer, let's imagine then that there is an Arab family living in the building in which you live, and you go to them and kill them all. The driver uncertainly agrees. The writer goes on. Let's imagine then that you killed the entire family and are already going away when you hear a cry of a baby. We survived because you didn't notice it. What are you going to do? The driver answers. How cruel you are, mister. The paper uh, discusses two clinical vignettes of apparent, apparent non-fanatical people. 
one had a narcissistic organization and the other lived a psychotic moment. A defensive complexity against the perception of reality was identified. We found traumas and frustration, narcissistic structures, insufficient or fraudulent container-containment relationship, voraciousness and envy, attacks on linking, impossibility to deal with mourning, symbolization deficits, resentment, fanatic inculcation, discharges, and hallucinations. To conclude the paper, I invoked the Schreber case. I proposed an analogical exercise in which we take Schreber's mental functioning as exemplary to describe fanaticism and barbarism. In short, Schreber, Stalin, Hitler, and other people considered themselves to be just and good and living under threat from evil. The more powerful they are, the bigger the quantity and power of the evil ones. In order to defend themselves, massive systems of espionage and counter-espionage are necessary. Their objective is to identify the evil ones and eliminate them. One of the biggest threats is the desire of the evil to infiltrate the ranks of the enlightened, corrupting them. Comrades should be spied upon, for they are potential traitors. At the same time, the masses ought to be seduced, and should this fail, intimidated, kept under the threat of torture and deaths. If they do not yield, vengeance will fall on their families. One has to take advantage of the sentimentally of self-love, resulting from weakness. The just and good love is the cause, not the people. The capacity to think needs to be killed off in those perceived as potential enemies, and they need to be included in the mixture of stupefied followers that will be in heaven, the cause. All totalitarian ideologies fight to expand and to maintain dominance over everything. In the delusion of Schreber, after the purification, the minds and bodies will be absorbed by God, becoming a part of him. The fanatic feels like a god, superior to everything, seeking to amplify their power infinitely. But one has to stay alert, seeking out enemies. These need to be conquered, to be blessed, to be purified. <clears throat> the purification involves rituals. The preference is fire, the inquisitorial fires, gas chamber, firearms, and the outbreaks of fire, bombs, or apply the annihilation of the enemy and the liberation of their soul, according to Reber. One has to be careful so that the soul does, does not linger in memory. Fire is ideal, 
better than common trenches, which, if discovered, may transform themselves into places of pilgrimage. One needs to eliminate bodies and memories without leaving a trace. Technology is advancing and we can quickly make millions of people archives the history itself disappear, or rather, purify. But there is a paradox. The elimination of the evil ones need to be announced in order to terrorize them. Thus, secret elimination is not always suited to the purpose. The terror should be televised, as with the fall of the World Trade Center, the metro explosions, the decapitations. Therefore, the dilemma is how to eliminate the enemy without leaving a trace, and at the same, same time, how to show this elimination. This is a complicated situation. This is why the witnesses need to be killed, and at the same time the propaganda that makes masses stupid or terrorize them needs to be maintained. We can suppose the fanatic desperately fights against the reality of finitude. A system where the fanatic controls death, projecting it onto the alleged enemy, needs to be created. The finitude is substituted by the conquest of infinite power. The fanatic cannot stand psychoanalysis, so if there is a connection to the limitations imposed by reality. Psychoanalysis develops the capacity of thinking. It depends on the perception of otherness and therefore on the consideration and respect for the other, which permits doubts and is open to self-knowledge and creativity. Psychoanalysis is a weapon against the cancer of dissemination or the lack of meaning, filled with hallucinated truths. To conclude, we need to continue investigating the factors that contribute to the lack of humanity. We need to associate with other areas of knowledge, knowledge to increase the power of errors over Thanatos. Thank you.